is our sponsor. Take you to a website called pcrcollective.org. But from there, you can check out the programming, you can subscribe to podcasts, mm-hmm. and you can listen to live comedy. Uh, it's a great station. And always hit the donation button and donate, and you can donate on Venmo at Mutiny Radio. So, Carl, we're going to watch a full length movie on YouTube. Yes, we absolutely are. And, Carl, and uh, what's the movie today? Okay, we're going to watch Hell W10, 1983. Wait a minute. Hell? Hell, H E L L space W10. W10. It's Hell W10. That is the German pronunciation, yes. H E L L space w10 1983 and the channel we like is hexen definitive the other one has commercials so hexen so that's a big you could tell it's hexen it it was posted officially a year ago and uh the other one was eight years ago Mm -hmm. it has a lot of ads okay so uh do what carl did do he double hockey sticks (laughs) bu10 that's what you need to type in and uh when you find the link uh, on the channel, uh, Drexen Regular, go ahead and click it and then hit pause. Uh, play any commercials that you need to play. There's no commercials. But hit pause and then move it the, the your slider. Your, your slider, your time slider. Time slide your thing to zero, ten, your uh, time slider to zero, zero, zero. Hit pause. Uh, we usually, uh, if you like the show, we're glad you're listening. We have a really special show. This is a really cool movie. Yeah. And uh, a lot of cool people behind it. So right. Carl, take it away with our celebrity comedian countdown. Okay. Today's celebrity comedian countdown is not a comedian at all. It's the actor who is in one of the actors who is in this film. Uh, what? Yeah, Derek Goddard. Derek Goddard. And so let's have him do our countdown. Okay. You are about to hear a very special episode of LWAFLMOYT, a clash episode one of the greatest bands of all time my Beatles the clash okay now in 1983 the clash were really on top they had risen out of the punk scene in London and that brought them fame and accolade but now they had hits around the world with rock the Casbah and should I stay or should I go and that's where we open up 1983 in London they made a movie okay now after Combat Rock was released, Topper Heaton, their drummer, was asked to leave the band just because he couldn't function anymore due to drugs. And they made this film. Mick Jones was fired, and The Clash, as we knew it, dissolved. So this is the very last glimpse we get to see of The Clash all together, and we're going to cover it for you in Spiegelman fashion here on LWAFLMOYT. In 2003, a Clash DVD box set was released called The Essential Clash, and it was just months uh, after Joe Strummer's death in 2002, and this DVD box set contained a movie called Hell W10. Hell W10. It's only 50 minutes long. It was filmed in 16 millimeter. It's black and white. It's in Notting Hill, uh, Landbrook Grove. It's all in London, but what's special about it is that is the setting, the stomping grounds, where The Clash lived and breathed, 
in this film, you see all the members of the Clash and their crew. One of the members of that crew was a gentleman named Derek Goddard. Uh, he was in his 20s at the time. He, they were grooming him to become the new drummer. And I found him on, on, uh, out there on the interwebs. And after we watch the movie together, stay tuned for an interview, an in-depth interview with him uh, about his experience making that film and his, about his experience being with The Clash for that very short window before it all fell apart. Last thing I want to talk about before we get started here is the soundtrack. Now, as you know, when we watch a full-length movie on YouTube, we turn down the sound, okay? The, the soundtrack is really interesting. Uh, rehearsal ta takes, uh, alternative takes of classic Clash songs. Now, if you don't know The Clash, you're not going to fall in love with them listening to the soundtrack. It's really for the Clash aficionado to hear some interesting things. Okay, ready? Here we go. Theme song, Clash-based, and then it's on to Michael's magic. Darling, you gotta let me know. Yeah, I want full-length movie on YouTube. With a Michael Spiegelman. And call on Mutiny Radio. So come on and let me know Did I watch a full-length movie on YouTube? L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T 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 So come on and let me know Hey, it's time for L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That stands for Let's Watch a Full Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. And Carl. Hi, Mike. Hi, Carl and Carl. You know, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T is the podcast name. and You can search any of your wonderful podcast devices for it. Subscribe and not even listen. But if you want to listen first, stream mm -hmm. it. Check it out. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube. is on Mutiny Radio every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're on right now. It's great <laughs> to check out MutinyRadio.fm. Uh, uh, it is our sponsor. Take you to a website called PCRCollective.org. But from there, you can check out the programming. You can subscribe to podcasts, mm -hmm. and you can listen to live comedy. Uh, it's a great station. And always hit the donation button. And donate, and you can donate on Venmo at Uni Radio. So, Carl, we're going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube. Yes, we absolutely are. And, Carl, and uh, what's the movie today? Okay, we're going to watch Hell W10, 1983. Wait a minute. Hell? Hell, H-E-L-L, -L, space, W-1-0, yes. W-1-0. Right. My autocorrect is, is Hell W. <laughs> that is the German pronunciation, yes. H-E-L-L -L space W10-1983. And the channel we like is Hexen Definitive. The other one has commercials, so Hexen So that's a big deal. You right. can tell it's Hexen. It, it was posted officially a year ago, and uh, the other one was eight years ago. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of ads. 
Okay, so uh, do what Carl did, do H-E double hockey sticks, <laughs> B-U-10, that's what you need to type in. And uh, when you find the link uh, on the channel, uh, Drexton Regular, go ahead and click it and then hit pause. Uh, play any commercials that you need to play. There's no commercials, but hit pause and then move to the, the your slider. Your, your slider, your time slider. Time slide your thing to zero, tenant your uh, time slider to zero, zero, zero hit pause. Uh, we usually, um, if you like the show, we're glad you're listening. We have a really special show. This is a really cool movie yeah. and a lot of cool people behind it. So right. Carl, take it away with our celebrity comedian countdown. Okay. Today's celebrity comedian countdown is not a comedian at all. It's the actor who is in, one of the actors who is in this film. Uh, what? Yeah. Derek Goddard. Derek Goddard. And so let's have him do our countdown. Okay, and I haven't heard this yet, but this is probably the best Derek Goddard interview I've ever heard. I've gone through all of my questions, got a lot of info from you. Is there anything you want to say to the audience about this film, about the making of this film, knowing that we're about to watch the whole thing? Uh, For me, try to be, like, open-minded in a sense that there was a lot of realism involved not not so much like obviously in the in the in the story and the characters, but what you what you get to see is real like Labrick Grove, yeah. And and you know to be honest, like a lot a lot of the characters, we we you know we don't have like you know spend time you know prepping and makeup and all this sort of stuff. It was literally Joe's like okay action, right. you know. So, so it, it, it's kind of not that far from like, you know, like how we how we kind of was, you know. And that sounds weird, but it's almost there's a part of like if you if you love the Clash, this is real Clash history. You get in a you get in a real window. I know the story isn't the easiest to follow, but um, you know, you got the music, and that's all. You know the real deal, and in and, and the and the imagery, and you know, the setting know is very genuine and legitimate. That's what the everything felt and looked like. You're really getting the experience of being there at the time. Yeah, and and, and Joe great. and Joe literally like used like all the clash. You know, like even Mickey Foot's car. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that is there's a scene where you know driving around like London, and um, you know Mickey lent his car, you know, and and Joe's like used all Clash, you know, aficionado, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So people and props and environment and setting, everything was. You're really getting a snapshot. It's a piece of history, and uh, right down right. to a lent car, yeah. A history, right, right when before again, it's important to think that really that was the last thing that every like Mick and and Paul and 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 Joe were all you know together. Do you know what I mean? It's the Country. very last glimpse. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, count us down, and we'll all watch this film together. So the countdown. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Well, Carl, I have to say that was a really interesting conversation. And again, I stand—I don't stand corrected. That was the best <laughs> interview I've heard. Well, wait guy. till you hear the interview after our show.
Oh, all right. Sounds good. Now, uh, we're, we're watching this just coldly, but can you give a little information about this movie? Okay, so well, right we now we're in Landbrook Grove. It's London. It's London. Uh, right. But Landbrook Grove, and this guy is a blind man on a train. And we're hearing the song Version City by The Clash. It's an interesting soundtrack because it's like out, not outtakes, that's not the right word, like recorded rehearsals and uh, interesting tracks, instrumentals. Now, you, you are the number one Clash fan. And yeah. have you ever heard these tracks in, in this movie? Well, that's what's they, interesting. I have, but in their originally published form. So here, it's interesting. It, it's a little behind the scenes. You hear their musicality. Now, you, one of the things we love about the show is that we love when rock stars make their own movies. So I'm really excited. I had no idea that uh, Clash made this movie, Joe Strummer. Yeah, I'm almost nobody did. And it was almost lost forever. Um, the place where they had it stored went out of business and they just destroyed all the tape. They just threw it in the garbage. Um, oh. But somebody had a videotape somewhere. Um, 2003, there was this thing called The Essential Clash. It was like, you know, they're trying to make money off of The Clash, right? So it had right. all sorts of special features, including this movie. Um, was it a box set? Yeah, that kind of thing. And it was, you know, Joe Joe Strummer died in 2002. So it was pretty timely. This was the very last thing The Clash did together before they broke up. Now, we, we should mention for the record, you have seen The Clash live. And by Clash, I mean after the breakup. I saw them both before and after, <laughs> yes. Best, best shows you've seen? Um, yeah, I would say the one in Asbury Park was uh, a perfect, perfect night uh, for a 17-year-old boy, you know, and it was um, just, it's all foggy because it's on the beach in Asbury Park. Um, I mean, outside of the arena, it's all, fo it was all foggy that night. And so Joe was like, we got us 40 cases of imported London fog. It was just great. What a night. Okay, oh, that's yeah. there's Paul Stimonen playing the guitar, and there's his disgruntled, unhappy girlfriend. She's just not happy with their station in life. And for some reason, she wants out, and she's about to get out. She's, no, she's a British punk rocker. Like, she's right. a G. Now, look, there's no special effects here. She's going to really pick up a guitar now and smash him on the head. It's not a special effect. No, it's a real guitar. Let's see if it breaks. Five bucks it breaks. <laughs> oh, that really does hurt. Joe Strummer <sighs> was directing this. <laughs> they just were they fans of the Three Stooges? No, <laughs> no, they were not. Okay, oh, here's so the bad guy, Socrates. Okay, oh, what are you talking about? Socrates is a good guy. Uh, well, in Greek mythology, yes. Yeah, but in. <laughs> But in Landbrook Grove, he's the meanest of the meanest. Now, that is Paul's girlfriend who has now walked out. Okay, we're back to the blind man who continues to recount the story. He's making a recording, you see? Oh, so now when they, they found this movie, were, were there, uh, was there, there wasn't any sound, right? Was there, any, uh... 
That's right. It was this was always intended to be an, a silent film, and I think at least Derek Goddard, you'll hear in the interview after this movie, feels that it was um, meant to be played while the Clash behind the Clash as they as they did a concert. Uh, wow. Yeah, so it'd be like a live performance, and behind them would be um, watch. Now look, Paul sneaks up. Bam! He smacks Mick and the Socrates in the face. Look at that. Oh, I bet she's going to have to shine her. Look, he hopped on the car. No, this is all one take, too. Yeah. Didn't, didn't this play on Fish Burgers back in 92? <laughs> no, this is much better than Fish Burgers. This is 16 millimeter, my man. Okay, look. You see his black eye? Socrates is informing me. I see his black eye. Somebody smacked me in the eye. We can't take this shit. How cool London looks. It's London, right? So yeah. is the name of the title like the address? So instead uh, of like yeah, eight. there's a postal co code which is W10. It's Notting Hill. Um, oh and really? So, yeah. I love that movie. How delightful! Julia Roberts. <laughs> no. No, you know, it was actually, it was based on her true life experience. I was in Notting Hill and I bumped into Julia Roberts and I'm like, you're Julia Roberts. It's like, no, enjoy this movie about an astronaut who looks like me. And I was like, whoa, we started to date and the neighborhood really got gentrified. And it was, uh, it was a really good film. And then she left because she had another movie. <laughs> okay, well, really beating each before other all that happened. Now, look, this is what happens to people who don't pay Socrates protection money. Got it, Spiegelman? Well, I don't you think it's ironic because I would need protection from them. Subtle racism here. He says, are you auditioning for the lead part in Black Superman? Subtle. It's subtle. Who's making a joke again? This guy's name is Ray, and he was a longtime bodyguard, and he's going to be a main character in this film. And these are all friends and family of, of the Clash? Yeah, I wouldn't say family, um, except for, like, the mother of his children. I don't think at this point is in it. But I wouldn't say family, but it's the Clash and everyone around them. All the crew. Um, Do the Pogues show up? The Pogues? Yeah. There's the Gabby right there. She is yeah. the mother of Joe's children. She is, uh, I really don't know her story, except I only hear nice things. This is a malt shop. <laughs> well, this is supposed to be a bar, right? But it's all real alcohol. And they did take after take after take after take. <laughs> Not since Marvin's never had a realistic meal. It was just a drunk night. There is a storyline going on, right? Or are they just kind of talking? Yeah, the storyline is Paul's girl left him to go like be Socrates, like porno girl or go-go girl. So now Paul is mad. So he punches Socrates in the face. Socrates isn't going to stand for that. This guy gets caught up in the protection money thing, so Paul befriends him. Okay? And so now they're learning who is Socrates in Lambrook Grove. You know, he's the tough. He's trying to be the toughest guy in town, he is. In Lambrook Grove, there is a lord. <laughs> 
Listen, I got to say, I had a great time uh, meeting Derek and interviewing him, speaking with him on the phone. He's just wonderful. And uh, a lot of inside information in the interview after. Now, I have not heard his uh, interview uh, at the time of this uh, recording. And uh, although I seen his stand up, he, he was great. And for a New Jersey comedian, he mm -hmm. really had a, good, a tight set. But uh, so I don't want us to repeat information that he revealed. And it's cool that we have an after interview as well. Yes. And Message received. Message received. Are, are they um, waiting for Lenny Bruce to open? What's going on? <laughs> it does look like that, like um, that dance hall one we saw. Filmed in 16 millimeter black and white. I guess he was a rock star. Now, there's not, now these are all real punk rockers. Well, they're like, friends and family. Of the, I, why am I saying family? They're like roadies and chicks and girlfriends, and they're all the class. Gotcha. Now, I actually here is Socrates is making a porno film behind, you know. He's a criminal mastermind, Socrates, and he makes porno films too. Oh, the photographs, no less. You can mm -hmm. buy them in uh, downtown shops. <laughs> I was in Shepherd's Bush. Two quid, eight pop, and I got me a porno mag. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes, hello. I would like to buy the Daily Fish Mongers newspaper. Oh, wink, wink. Here we go. Let me go in the back, you naughty boy. <laughs> uh, Socrates just made it. I would okay, so like so He's uh, saying, clips. give me the address of your old boyfriend because he's getting his ass kicked. All right, so we do have drama. That's right. Look how he overacts. He, Mick is the best thing about this film, I would, I don't know, there's other great things too, but Mick is a really good thing about this film. He overacts. Hey, you lot! Go on to this well, bloke's house and bring him round, eh? Now, you, you've shot some of the movies on 16mm before, you have to overreact. What a monster! Ah! <laughs> That's right. You see, Joe Strummer directed that, this, and this is exactly what he wanted. You see, it clenches his fist. Yeah. It's like, I want you to overact and Derek likened it to Buster Keaton, you know, big exaggerated movements and walking a little quicker than, you know, a snap to your skin. Okay, so they're off to pick up Paul. Now look, you see the snow flurry? The internet yeah. claims that this was like filmed in the summer, but yet Derek got his first phone call from Joe to do it in February. And you just saw snow flurries, right? Yeah, I just saw the snow, so it's not really summer. Guess who's not home? Is there, uh, Carl, is there snow in London? That's the sun ending. Socrates is calling. Da -na 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 -na. Socrates is calling. Do you so know London calling? Yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, that's the one where they uh... call London. Call London. It's a famous album cover. Yeah, that really is a great cover. That is like one of the coolest Clash, clash songs ever, London Calling. I mean, yeah. 
so many, but that is a real fucking rocker. Radio, Radio Clash killed. Radio Clash is well, great. Well, I, I vote for Lost in the Supermarket. <laughs> no! <song>. No! <laughs> that, that's probably the, the great song. No, but that's uh, it's the unhippest Clash song. You, 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 the girl song. Oh, you know what's even better than uh, Lost in the Supermarket? What? B-sides of Lost in the Supermarket. What a great <laughs> no, song. No, no. Listen, Clash fans, Lost in the Supermarket was the B-side. Oh, give me a break. You know, the, the top of the you know box. Do you know the English Civil War by the Clash? Greatest rock song ever written. Do you know it? Nope. Well, it's your lot. <laughs> here, I, let me pull out my left hand and I've had those, the Clash songs I know. This is London. This is England. Oh, terrible song. Well, not a terrible song, but yeah, the, the Bad Spirit yeah. song. That was probably their best song. Oh, oh uh, when you reach the bottom. Oh, I'm thinking of Bad too. Excuse me. Uh, what else? There was a. Uh, oh, there's a pretty class song, of course. They no, wait, a, wait, wait. I got to tell you a plot now. You see, yeah. they're looking at all the porn. They are. They're taking forever. And Joe Strummer's saying, like, Oi, make it like he's really horny, right? So, you know, now Paul is outside the window and he is finding out that there's a stash of porn he could steal and sell. Okay. I mean, Paul is going to get this, Socrates. Look at this guy. Like Spider Man, the regular Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Now, look, there's no special effects. That is a 22 year old, 23 year old Paul Simonon who just shimmied up the side of a of a Lambrook Grove flat, he, you know. Paul Simonon is the bass player? Yeah, and I had the pleasure to shake his hand once, yes. Nice. He's a posing figure. Of course, I was such a little peewee. He's so tall. Oh, I am mate. Look at that. You see him falling down? That was yeah, real. That was real. Now, Ray is really limping there. That really did hurt him. Yeah, there's no, like, second takes in this one. Well, they did do, no, he did a lot of second takes. This is really as polished as it gets. He, yeah, you have to admit, it's a really well done movie. You know, there's no... <laughs> my nice ass kiss, my, No, Now, there's no script. Joe Strummer was just telling him, you do this and you do that. He just directed them um, as they went along. Now, he had a whole story in his head, but he never wrote it down. Do they, um, uh, I guess until they run out of film and then they got an ending. <laughs> no, it really was. It does have a plot that goes all the way to the end. That doesn't make it good, but it, you know. Now, they, for, for music videos, like, I mean, they were a 70s band for sure, and they were definitely like a punk band, but they also had a lot of te television appearances and, and kind of their, their iconic posters and t-shirts, but when music video came out, I guess Rockin' Hasbro was a huge video. Yeah. And also, um, Should I Stay or Should I Go was a huge video. Yeah, that's right. And what they did is <clears throat> they toured with The Who, but in the video, they make it look like everyone's filling, uh, you know, giant stadium for them. Well, yeah, you, you flaunt it when you got it, you know. Yeah, I know, but it was a little deceptive. It was a little deceptive. Well, yeah, I don't know if you saw my music video live at uh, 
Red Rocks back when I opened for you too. <laughs> when I opened for you too, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was me, uh, Chumbawamba, and then you too. Greenville. No, they're breaking in and just stealing the porn outright. They're tying everybody up and holding knives. I mean, they're really being criminals here. Now, they're robbing a, cr a criminal organization, right? I guess that makes it okay. But these are our heroes. So that's a real knife. Yeah, it's a real knife. And there look, okay. The guns might be real, too. We don't know. It never gets answered, that question, on the internet or in person. So, uh, I'll talk about that when the guns come. Okay. Is there going to be a placard that says, bang? That would be so great. Look, he can't get out. He can't get out. Yeah. He'd be seated. I'm bang. acting. I am acting. Now, there is. for a sitting desk. There's Joe Strummer, and he's a cop. Really, that's ironic, because he fought the law. And the law won, Mike. He's, they said, you're a cop now, you is. You're a bobby now. You can't, you don't join them. Gabby word. is driving the getaway car. They're hiding Stunt. the porn right now. They're hiding it in the stash. And do you see how Gabby's overacting, looking around, making sure no one's watching? Drive, I said. Now, uh -oh. here is Joe Strummer as a corrupt cop. Oh, he's going to take some here and there. Yeah, he's and he's splitting it with his partner. Uh, what was that James McAvoy movie? Or is that like a corrupt cop who's actually uh, had a secret? That's that's what they would call the cops. They would. I I can't hear you so well. Oh, there was a movie called Filth. I believe it was Filth, where uh -huh. it was about crooked British cops. Uh huh. One who had a weird. Uh, in a deep secret, but uh, the term came from like slang for cops. This is a great banana rama song. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So they have successfully stole the porn. So now they're like, we got to sell it now. Who are we going to flog for? Yeah, we got to flog. We saw we saw a couple of good. Uh, Late 60s uh, Soho London swinging movies, right? Like, yeah. Uh, the Venus from Starship. No, wait. Yep. And Starship late, Venus. Yeah. And in that, they go, save Nick to close. And they say it here, too. Look how they <laughs> light his, they light his magazine. No, they're just fire. going off. They're just straight out jackets. Look at that. He's killing. Carl, so he's it's on like, fire. Way back then, that would be an acceptable prank. Okay, here comes the blind man, and I don't know why, but he is Again. the bearer of gifts. He shows up at the wrong time. We're trying to flog porn here. Look, ta -da. 
Aren't they illegal in London? Yeah. Well, actually, it was rare to to actually see a gun in London. I, Derek will talk about that. I think these guns might okay. potentially be real. <laughs> what a tax write-off for a rock band. To <laughs> right. bring your guns and, uh, yeah. Now, he's been ripped off and he's like, what am I going to tell my partners? Now, watch Mick overact. It's great. Look at that guy, oh, broke you. What are you, a monkey? So great. What? He's got his white gloves on. Yeah. Oh, he's getting white glove service. So he's had enough of Paul. He's so crazy. Now, in real life, Paul and Mick were a point of contention in the band. Uh, and what is suspected is that Joe really did this on purpose. If you look at who are the like the the partners with Paul and who are the partners with right. Mick in the film, it's real life people who you know one's his guitar roadie named, named Digby, one is um, uh, Cosmo who's you know like they're all in the movie paired up like they are as friends in real life, friends and support system. That's pretty cool. Paul again. We like to hang out downtown. I like to wait at the top of the road. Now, will they beat up mods or rockers? Yeah. Like, are there enemy mods or rockers? No, you see, that was about 25 years, 20, 15 to 20 years earlier, <laughs> there would be mods and rockers <laughs> in Limbrook Grove. That, those days are over. It's punk rock time. There was a, like Peter Weller and all that, those guys. What what they're doing now is they're scouring the street for these L W ten. Right. Get back, you drunk. You run out. Wow, that's yeah. uncalled for. Look at that California weather. <laughs> oi! Oi! I says oi. I want to use your. I want to use your restroom. Well, you you have to pay it. Uh, how much? To pee? Yeah. <laughs> to pee. To That's pee. right. That's... I have to pay to pee? Yes. Yeah, that's right. To pee. Exact change, please. I cannot <laughs> split a pee. This isn't split pea soup. Look at him scouring London growing. That's pretty cool. So he just stuck the camera out the window. Oh, look, Dom DeLuise. No, it's Jim yeah. Henson. Now look at this gag. He like inspects their palms like he's a palm reader or something. And then they're all befuddled and confused by it. He's Jim Henson. He's like, smell my hand. He is huh? like Jim Henson. Guess where it was? Uh-oh, keep more driving. Look at that. That's a great ashtray. Yeah, that's a great ashtray. That's a classic ashtray. That is 1984 in my car with uh, Kenichi Sugahara. Listening to The Clash? Uh, yeah, I would say. Um, London's burning. Da -na 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 -na. London's burning. 
all across the town, all across the night. Everybody, okay, look, this looks like it's uh, Jim Belushi, uh, John Belushi to me. It's like Jim Belushi. Yeah, or Jim, oh. it looks like a Belushi, then third brother. That's a classic Joker movie, you drop your gun. Those three clown pants. <laughs> now look, Derek, uh, who we do the interview, he's about to smash into them with the bike. Oh, so this is the guy we you talked to? Yeah. Well, we've already seen him in the film. I didn't call him out right away. Look, John Belushi. I'm telling you, that's a Jim Belushi. Now he doesn't look like Jim Belushi. I think Chico. he's the third Belushi. Right, there's uh, James Belushi, Jim Belushi. No, wait. Jake? Jake Belushi? So they're the same person. Ah. John Belushi. John Belushi, Jim Belushi, and James Belushi are the three Belushi brothers. said Belushi so many times, I can't it doesn't even, it sounds like a nonsense word to me now. It's a Belushi, Belushi, Belushi. Oh, okay. Bicycle now, what Derek has found out is that Socrates is meeting with all the mob bosses in London tonight. Okay, so he's going to tell that to Paul, and they're going to scratch their heads about it. Where are they going to go? Like to a uh, place that has snooker? What? Uh, a place that has snooker? What snooker? Is that a game? The pool game? Yeah, that's a pool. That's a, that's a really cool game. <laughs> what was that cartoon that was draw? Andy Cap? Would he play snooker? Yeah, he would. He would go. Well, he would play it really, and come home really late. And I don't know if you know this, but Mrs. Cap was not too happy about it. <laughs> right, right, with their frying pan. Okay, this is all real, man. There's no special effect. I mean, they... Okay, that's not true. There is a special effect later. Oh, really? Godzilla? No, it's a... It's a, Should I ruin it? No, no, it's a short movie. Yeah. Now, this guy uh, was a roadie. Uh, his name is uh, The Baker. Um and um, his name is August. Well, I'll pull it up in a second. But he uh, would tour, you know, he was like the drum tech and all around roadie. He was a can-do person who got things done. So he's helping behind the scenes with this film. He's lugging around all the lights and uh, cameras and props. And <clears throat> Okay, so now they discover that in their porno film, some of it is filled with heroin. Ah, uh, I usually fast forward that part. That's why, yeah, we don't need female role models. That's why the um, they're so interested in this stash of porn, and they're out to get him so bad because he's costing them a lot, a lot of money right now. Yeah. So, but they're excited because now they can sell the heroin. That's right. But usually when I watch porn and I get, when they do heroin, I just fast forward that part. <laughs> when you watch porn, oh, now I'm with you. <laughs> I don't need reality in my porn, right? Let's just see the sex. <laughs> okay, now they've decided that they're going to give a note to Paul. His name's Earl in this thing, but it's Paul Simonon. So they're going to they're going to like give this guy acid or something and a letter 
And why don't they just go to his house? They know where he lives. Seriously, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is uh, Daniel Flanagan, and he owns the Sheben they've been hanging out in, and they're giving him acid and a letter. <laughs> Isn't that dumb? You think he's like, no, whatever you do, don't throw that acid in my mouth. <laughs> Look at him. Ah, ah. Uh, overact. I'll just take a yeah. Overact. Oh, no. Are you sure it's Aston, or is it like Benny's? Well, um, and wash it down with some liquor. Um, you'll see in a minute. Uh, it, he gets fucked up. I don't know if it's acid. He has a hallucination, a single hallucination. Oh, cool. Is it in color? Uh, no. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Nope, no, not in color. Oh, that's the guy talking. There's Danny O'Keefe. Kids taunt him. You're a mind bender. You're a mind bender. <laughs> How can you tell? Look at him. Julia oh, Roberts everywhere. Watch out for this unfocused camera. Now, Doppler effect, <laughs> sound effect. I want to. I want to help with your movie too. Sure. Can you go in the middle of traffic and just record it? Uh, the lights go. Uh, yeah, yes. Roll them. Roll you know, mate. <laughs> it's so great that all the roadies uh, and worked on this film. Did they get paid? Yeah. They did. Right. Yeah. Joe funded this whole thing. Uh, he, they had to process the film, they had to edit, they had to buy the props. So um, the guy, the, the baker who I was telling you about, he like got all muddy and gross in the last scene. There's this hallucination. Did you see E.T.? Yeah, E.T. That is like, late dates this movie. There's no way it's like a 70s movie. It's not late 70s fun. Now look, look at this bloke. Come with me, Danny. Look how good acting he is. He's great acting. I think he's fucked up. He just loosens his. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's, he's sleeping. I would have just thrown him down the stairs. All right. We need some popcorn and video cassettes. Stat. <laughs> he's obviously yeah. been to the dog track. Now, that's just some local colloquialism. You know what I mean? Maybe not literally gone to the. Bring my stuff to the canal bridge tomorrow at midnight or kiss your kneecap goodbye. And that is when our film's going to end. When they he's at that uh, meet. Wait a minute. So do we see his kneecaps getting going goodbye? Or... <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. Is it real bullets? Then they hit him. I just don't want to ruin it for you. Okay. <clears throat> so now what they got to do is dump the heroin. So they found a buyer, but just for one bag. So they're going to sell it to the buyer. But, Mike, it's a setup. What do you mean setup? Socrates men. They're lurking. Interesting. Now, what are these characters? They look like they're aliens, the way they're dressed up. 
They're early 80s fashion, I guess. I guess, yes. This is 1983. Nope. You have to let me know. Was this movie like for his personal use? Or did he plan to distribute it as a film? Was it a promotion for the band? Okay, so it's unclear. There's, there's, he, he, I think that he did intend for this to be a serious film. And then when he got it all done, he saw that it wasn't, you know, Quentin Tarantino, um, even for his okay. Like, for instance, he loved the movie Taxi Driver. It influenced him, and he wanted to make a film like Taxi Driver. But, I mean, look at it in black and white, 16 millimeter. Look at how the lights are all up on their face right now. It just wasn't. Look how out of focus that is. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot better than it should be. Yeah, it's a lot better than it should be because he paid money. But the thing is, he just did it himself like fish burgers. Do you think it was sequential? Like he just he started from the beginning and then shot everything to the end? No, it wasn't sequential. That's why I strongly feel he had a serious script in his head. You know? <clears throat> I mean, look at all this matching action. and I mean, did, he did this whole thing without it written down on script. Okay, so they're getting away and even getting away with some of the heroin. So look at the overacting. Socrates yeah. is kid. Look at that light. Sure, I say. Mm-hmm. Good Let's, dirt to you, sir. Rankin and Shaken. It's a oh, yeah. night. Now, here's a funny part of the film. They sneak past the guy and they don't have to play their five quid, three pound note, Bob. I just okay. want to use your bathroom. Right. Two people. Yes, that's the right. Bad guy. Right. So, hey, hey, it'll be five quid a pull. But I'm so great. But I'm so crazy. I'm just so crazy. As a silent movie that's been rediscovered and reissued, uh, and and our guests uh, sync that music. Are they what kind of music is playing now? Well, I was wrong about that. Don Letts did the music. Uh, what kind of music is playing right now is like Clash backing tracks. Here, let me. All right. Well, I believe you. Now this is a song called Justice Tonight. Um, and it's on Black Market Clash. But the thing is, this version is just an instrumental. It's like that throughout. I got you. It's only interesting to the Clash fan. If you heard this soundtrack alone, you'd n- you wouldn't become a Clash fan, you know? This is only interesting if you really know the record. Now, are you the type of guy who has a burnt CD of this music? Or, like, you buy bootlegs or... Well, you know, I mean, I bought all those records back in the day. They were out, you know, 33. They were vinyl. And uh, then when CDs came around, of course, I switched to CDs and I got all of those. Nowadays, everything's on the Internet, as you know. You really don't need to do any of that. Thanks, Grandpa. Okay, this is one of my favorite scenes. Look how Mick is so... Well, did you get him? Did you get the? He goes, oh, we fucked up, boss. And he's like, I'm ruined. I'm going to be a clown from Glasgow to Stepney. <laughs> he, oh, so he's not one of the mob bosses that get, like, super angry. Sorry, boss, we couldn't get him. Will Smith was, he was just too fast. <laughs> just too fast. Bang. You want to end up as a pillar over the tower canning fields, you feeble clump of insects. 
it's ruined. You see, okay, this is the last glimpse of the clash together. Uh, it was 1983. They just got back in their tour for um, uh, with The Who, opening for The Who. Combat Rock was old news now. They were big, famous stars. Right. And the band was just about to break up. Um, there was forces pushing them apart. One of them was the manager, uh, Bernie Rhodes, uh, and others lobbying to fire Mick. And that's what happened in September of this year. So this is their very last thing together. There's Gabby, Joe's girlfriend. So they, Mick was kicked out, but the band continued. And you had seen the new class, as you call it. Yeah, but the thing is, <clears throat> they really weren't the same band. Right, they had two original members, but okay. So the drummer was let go because he was really a drug addict and he just couldn't continue. Uh, and then Mick got fired, so they made. Let's see, two years later, Cut the Crack came out. It was called This wow. Is Island, and it was uh, the new Clash. And yeah, that's who. That's I did see them live. Uh, seeing them in Asbury Park, though, that was the real clash, and that was... For sure. Yeah, that sounds amazing. By 1984, Big Audio Dynamite was happening, and Mick was having a lot of success with hits. Uh, yeah. The clash broke up in 86. They, they did not have a hit with their record. It was 88 in the U.S. I have to say, Big Audio Dynamite, you know, they, I, could, they could, I could use my left hand to count some good songs from them. Right. Uh, the bottom line song and uh, one with the horses are on the track. That's right. Yeah. Rhythm and percussion. Now look, Mick is a great actor in this. He's in front of the police chief and the police chief is like, why are you coming here? You'll get us both thrown out. You know, everyone knows that, you know, I'm on the take. Now watch what he does. He snaps his lighter on. And Joe Strummer is going to be real impressed. Clicks it closed. <laughs> no. Oh, I got. This is my favorite part in the whole film because he goes, How do we know that you're not double crossing us? And Mick Jones is going to go, Who, me? He's low colder on that. He's got a big gang. He nicked the, the kit. He's telling it all. Yeah. How do we know you're not doing a double cross? Watch it. He goes, who, me? Damn <laughs> <laughs> you guys? No, no, no. He's got it all wrong. Oh, my God. He's telegraphing it across the street. Some people outside the movie have said. Still didn't see his performance. Now, Paul decided to run round and shop him to the cops. That ought to fuck up Socrates. He doesn't know Socrates is in cahoots with the cops. So he's going to spy him and then run away, and Joe's going to try to chase him a little bit. But he's... I'll kill you! He looked like a blue zone. Quick, use, use your key. There you go. This part of the film I don't understand, and I've seen it eight times. Really? Why? This is a six-hour movie. 
he's either stealing a car. Look, he's hot wiring it. So he's stealing a car. Right. Why? It doesn't serve the plot. Then he's driving away. He's got a shotgun with him. It doesn't serve the plot. Now, look, two cops just happen to be around and they see him. He's not wearing his seat belt. Just pull him over. This doesn't serve the plot at all, you see. It's his criminal life, right? I guess, yes. Deal with Bobby's? Yeah. Wow. 1983, that's when they started wearing seatbelts. Yeah. Christmas Day. I mean, New Year's Day. Uh, no, January 3rd. Whoa, January 3rd. Okay, so. Oh, January 3rd. He, now, look, he called him the monkey. Right. Jesus Christ, the monkey's got a shotgun. That was not polite. And Mike, it gets yeah. worse. It gets worse. Maybe that's the point of the scene. We're ready. This guy like got tripped. Now he's being back to the station and Joe Strummer will pour the racism on. Mike, would you read our interstitials, please? It's all right. Would you, I'm, a, I'm a slow reader. I'm dyslexic. I, I can't read. I'm illiterate. <laughs> and I'm dyslexic. So if I didn't the, know how to read, it'd be a problem. The Liberation Army of... Oh, man. Oh, right in the gut. Now... One tick. <laughs> what does it mean? So... Watch how uh, Ray will pull a move and get the one up on the cops for just a moment. All right. But th th does the law win? Uh, I'm not so, sure. Look, pow! He fought the law. And the uh, law won. Law. Sneer! Sneer! <laughs> now the gun fired. And, and what? Now we're somewhere no. different entirely. Well, that's it. The scene ended with the bank. What more do you want? <laughs> okay, now, Paul goes out, and who should come over? One of those gangsters who's mad, okay? And he does a shoot-up scene. It's kind of dumb. Shoot-up heroin? <laughs> the heroin's done. Now, look. Joe Strummer's making him do it with an axe. Right. Here to ask you a question. <laughs> oh, is this a, is this a, one of those polls? You want me to axe me something? <laughs> Hiya, chop. Now, Gabby oh. hairsprayed him in the face. Right. You see He's how her hair always stays up? Do you think that has practical effects? It, it's super strength tang gel. He's actually uh, axe murderer. Yeah. Now look, Paul has come home to find an yeah. axe murderer. He's not going to tolerate that. Oh no! Now watch this terrible, terrible effect. Oh my God! It's the there worst. There we go. Ouch! Oh, that looks. Eyeball. Eyeball. And eyeball cord. Ooh, eyeball juice. 
The baker made that. He created wow. that special effect. Now, that's His great. name is Barry August, and he was with them from 76 to 83. He was uh, one of their closest friends, and he's a drum tech and a roadie. Look, he shoots her dead for what? For what? So they could bug go on her for it. He must shut her on her forehead. Now, if he was shot in the head, I mean, what, with a 38? It wouldn't have looked like that, right? Right. This is a silent 16 millimeter film. The blood's going to look goofy. Shot in the eyebrow. Now, look, he's about to do heroin. Yeah. And look, you're not going to shoot me. Oh, look, I'm acting. I am acting. I'm dying. I'm dying. (laughs) He's just listening to Joe Strummer tell him what to do. Okay. You're dying. You're dying. Show it. A little more. A little more. Back to our blind guy. We do this every now and again to remind us that we're being told a story. Uh huh. Stagger Lee. Stagger Lee. Johnny and Frankie. Wrong Boyo. Okay, look at these guns, man. There's Derek, our interview after the show. Oh, cool. Now look at them, Mike. They really look real. Did, yeah, he mention I mean, where, did he mention where the guns came from? No, he doesn't know. <laughs> I'm ruining that interview. I don't care. All right. Well, yeah. It's old hat by now. Speaking of new hats, check out their hats. Yeah, that's a that's an old hat by now. That's 83. He goes, oh, yeah. what's, with, what's the grave digging gear for? Oi! Yeah. Oi! You've seen Shallow Grave. It doesn't end well. Now, Empty lot. Well, that's where they're supposed to meet. Oh, right. The vacant lot. Right. So this is February, so there's no Christmas trees in that house. <laughs> All right. Crimbo trees. Holiday special. I'm overacting all the way to the end of this film, I is. (laughs) Oh, there's an ending to this film? Uh Uh-huh. This all looks like the uh, back of the cover of their albums. Now, I want to, yeah, it looks like Sandinista. It's just like behind a bowling alley or something. Uh, A snooker polar. Um. I want to remind you again that, like, when we see a person getting hit by a car, it's real. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Bang, bang, you're shot. That isn't real. Wait, they were underneath the car? Right. That's That's a crazy stunt. Right, so he really was. They dug out a pit and pulled over his head. Look, he's on the car as it's driving, (laughs) for real. And he fell off. Do not attempt. He's 22 years old and made out of rubber. Now, look, there's real fighting. Now, look, Mick is pinned. He's yeah, pinned. I, I could tell from his acting. And Gabby oh. will shoot him. No, no, don't shoot. Don't shoot. <laughs> Please. I got one more soliloquy in me. Now, there's all this smoke. 
it was yeah. it a fog machine because if not that means the car is doing that it's carbon monoxide inside the car i yeah i i can't see that it would be that amount don't you think it's the other roadies just smoking pot in the van now look she shot our hero paul and why they're friends right now she's gonna shoot him she's oh. he's laying there dead yeah gabby has shot everyone gabby. Shot three people yeah now look did oh, either are they passing tobacco or a joint it could be hashish it could be look and, at the carnage tobacco. you see the carnage and here comes our yeah. blind guy that's the end of the story the end Thanks for coming. Please just leave the theater for the next showing. Now, why show these kids sharing a cigarette? Why showing kids watching a murder? Right. Oh, that's deep. Now we're back to our dude. Yeah. Look, he's vaping. Yeah. This could happen to you. Don't do, don't steal drugs. That's all she oh, wrote. Wow. Carl, oh my God. You've seen this movie eight times. What'd you think? Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it? this movie because it's really a snapshot in time. This is really like the last two seconds before the clash completely fell apart. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like we've seen a lot of rock star movies. We've seen Given My Regards to Broad Street. We've seen uh, Pet Shop Boys movie. And, you know, I've seen other ones with, uh, and this one's probably the best. Like, it was really well done. And it wasn't, you know, didn't have to stay until it was, it was a pretty cool film. And well, I had to give it for point one for mentioning that this film was on YouTube. And uh, it was great that we were able to get the guy to talk to us. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was good. It was worth it. I'm sure it's better with the music. It, yeah, it was only 16 millimeter in black and white. So it's just going to be the quality it's going to be. And the lighting was not done in a professional manner at all. So you know what I mean? Like there was budget, but it wasn't really spent on like somebody really produce and direct this. So, but the thing is, it really is Lembrook Grove in the day. And it really is the, their scene, all those people. So Carl, we are going to listen to your post uh, movie interview. Right. After uh, we wrap things up. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce a gentleman who appears in this film. Okay, he was a drummer for the Raincoats, a wonderful band. I, I just checked them out on YouTube a lot. They're female-fronted. Kurt Cobain has great things to say about him. He was a member of the Soul Vendors with Joe Strummer, uh, with Richard Mole, you know, from the 101ers. They had a regular gig every New Year's Eve in, at the Tabernacle in London. Powis Square, I think it's called. Uh, he grew up in West London, lived in France, lived in Trinidad. Now he's a full-time resident in the United States, in New York. Let's welcome Derek Goddard. Thank you. All right, Derek, how are you, Hello. man? I'm good. You also did a bunch of work with um, a woman, I cannot pronounce her first name. Nana Cherry. Yeah. Yeah. The internet brags about her being pretty big in the eighties. Yeah, uh, so she was. Were... I think she was a lot bigger in in England. 
Uh-huh. You know, she was one of the early hip hop um, stars at the time, you know? Yeah, really fashionable. Lots of pictures yeah. of her with John Letts. Yeah. Uh, lots of, she was a, a good looking, charismatic lady. Yeah, she also played with the Slits. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Do you know the Slits? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. She was also in the Slits okay. prior to sort of, you know, going solo. And now you appear in this film, and and I thank you for joining us. We are going to pick your brain and learn so much about this. The first thing I want to yeah. know is, this came out on the Essential Class, like a two thousand three release. Right. Sort of a comp- Did you know the film would be a part of it? Well, it was kind of like, a bit like um, Gabby, um, Joe's former partner. Um, I bumped into her and she was like, oh, you know, it's out on blah, blah, blah. And um, she was the one who really informed me. She was heavily involved in the editing of the film. Right. She appears in the film. Um yeah. I think she's still in the UK right now. Uh, I think she's married and working for some sort of holistic company. Uh, right. Do you still stay in touch with her? Um, not since I moved to America. I mean, right. I last I last saw her, and it was great. And we, you know, we spent about an hour talking about you know the old days and this and that and what we'd done and stuff. She's such a lovely person, um, but. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a New Yorker at the moment, you know what I mean? So it's especially with the pandemic, you know, I just I've lost yeah. a lot of contact with with people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We've all been under that. So how was this film discovered? I mean, I know that the film was the it was the film stock company, they they went yeah. out of business and erased everything or destroyed it, but this it turned up on some videotape. Do you do you know the story of how it? You happened? know, I, I'll be honest with you. I think there's like there's a lot of really sort of odd stories about you know, you know, there's stories about it showing up on a stall in Portobello Road. There's stories about mm-hmm. you know, like God knows what. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you know, some bootleg person was. I mean, it, it's really hard to sort of like. But unless I'm there, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I, I just think people, people like to create, you know, odd myths about, you know, this and that. So, you know. It's more sensational. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sensational. But, you know, at the same time, it, like I say, there was a lot of confusion within the sort of, the, the within the sort of the circles of the clash, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how, how it actually, do you know what I mean? It, it, it would be weird that, you know, you think about it. I mean, it pops up and somewhere, you know, when somebody didn't do something and all of a sudden it's on, you know, the greatest hits of the class. You know what I'm saying? It's, yes, I do. You, you just don't know the process, you know? And, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, I'm just saying, you know, People like controversy and people like to, you know, make up this and that, Mm -hmm. you know. So So. you had heard during the filming, you had heard that this was going to be like played during a live performance, like like uh, the clash would be in front of it and it would be playing on a big screen behind them. That was the story you were 
That was about that. That was what I was told while we were making it. Yeah. Mm. That, um, you know, and that sort of part of the reason why it was um, uh, sort of made like a silent movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it you know, like back in the day, you know, there's someone playing a piano towards it. And the idea, the concept would have been, was like, you know, the Clash would be playing and they'd have this in the background, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, I just yeah. wonder what would be the emphasis? Like, would people be going to see the film? Because they got to watch the interstitials. And then, like, you just have to be doing an instrumental. Or are people going to see The Clash? And it would no, just no. be no, playing no, in the my, my idea was they'd be going to see The Clash. Mm-hmm. And it would be played in the background. That would have been great. That would have been terrific. Can you imagine? Just visually, I just think it, it's, you know, it, it would have been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Gabby's brother, uh, whose name is Mark, Mark Salter. Yes. He he did the camera work. Did he have any experience with the camera? Um, Okay, from the little that I know, I mean, I know that he, you know, he'd shot like the Stray Cats videos and things. Um, So, yeah, I think he had a bit of a record you know, behind, um, you know, shooting films, shooting, certainly shooting videos, you know? Yeah. But I, I mean, I have to admit, I was surprised that Don, Don wasn't, Don Letts yeah. wasn't involved a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I, I, to be honest, I think it was really, a lot of it had to do with, you know, Joe was really interested in film at the time. Yeah. And I think, it, I think a lot of it was a sort of vehicle for, for Joe to kind of experience the making of a film and and just see how much he could learn from it. Do you know what I mean? I do. And you had yeah. said on uh, Baker's, the Baker's uh, blog, that uh, you approached Joe like, hey, let's make some music. And he said, oh, just joking. He goes, I hate music. I'm into film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that. I mean, you know. You know, I'm like, like, you know, I'm like 20 years old at the time. I'm like raring to go. I'm like, let's get in the studio. And, you know, they, they'd rented a, stu- rented a studio with a kit and I used to go there. And, but, you know, and they'd sort of like, they ended up sort of giving me like all the, you know, load of Clash tunes to learn, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, come on, man, let's play together. That's what groups do, right? Right, of course. Um, but... But you know, Joe. Joe had the sort of, you know, you have to understand Joe's humour as well. Do you know what I mean? But I remember saying to him, "Come on, when are we going to get any other day?" Oh, music! I hate music. <laughs> but but that's Joe. That's Joe. You know, you could, you you know, he wasn't serious. But no. You know, <laughs> but but you know, there's always a vague element of truth in you. Maybe at that time, do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I mean, humor is yeah. based upon truth. And if he's saying, I hate music, I mean, he's he was trying, I don't know how, where it went, but he was beginning, his, he was heading towards a film career. That was on his mind. Right, right. The next thing he wanted to accomplish and tackle. Right, right. Now, he yeah. gave you directing, like, he wanted everyone to be overacting. Like, it was an old, silent film, like, exaggerated. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And exactly. so would he, would he would he do another take and say, "Give me more, ham it up"? I mean, he would I mean, I thought it was his directing was really good. 
Yeah. I mean, he literally was like, you know, narrating it, you know what I mean? Which mm -hmm. made me think, you know, but you see, my idea was like, just act like you're in a Buster Keaton movie. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Even to the point where I was moving like, like, you know, like extra fast. Yeah. You know, like when you watch those movies, they like, they all look like they're, you know, like, you know, on 78 M part, you know what I mean? They're all like yes. moving really fast, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I thought it, you know, I thought it was that we were supposed to act like that, you know, <laughs> but everybody was acting like pretty just normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Was and, it uh, you who was on the bike and you run into the mobsters? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I get a little sense of that in that scene, and then you running up to tell them that everyone's, you know, Socrates is meeting with all the mo There was like uh, overacting and moving quickly, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's also it's supposed to be, you know, sort of, you know, slightly comical as well. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Look but, at you know, just like even the like the gangsters were like extra gangsters. Do you know what I mean? And yes. you know. You know, we were like just, you know, like punks in the gangster sense, you know, not just punks in the class sense. In the know. punk sense, right. Yeah, in the punk sense. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've complimented his directing here. The thing is, some reports on the Internet says that there – okay, we all know that there was no script. But but some reports on the Internet say that he made it up as he went along. I don't believe that. I think a full story was in his head. Don't you agree? I agree. Yeah, Joe. Joe wasn't. Uh, you know, he he just what he was. Joe always wanted to be professional. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? By mm -hmm. about everything that he did, I I got the impression. You know, but um, it's not something he would just make up on the spot. Right. It, and the interesting there was too much going on. You know, it had but, to be composed yeah. in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Him to. Yeah. And if you look at the title cards, the interstitials in between and what they read and what people are saying, it had to have been, the script is not the word, but he knew what he was going for from start to finish. Um, you know, the, the blind man being in the exact right scenes, giving the guns, being there in the end, clearly Joe knew his story. Right. Absolutely. Okay, the title of this film is Hell W10, which I'm told is a postal code of zip code for Notting Hill. But was it Hell or Hill? H-I-L-L? -L? No, Hell. H, you know, Hell in the in the biblical sense. H. And that was legitimate? That that was a Well, code? Hell is like Hell in West 10. West <laughs> 10 is like, you know, Labbott Grove. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 what is the postal code? The postal code is just W ten. Yes, I get it yeah. now. I get it for okay. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Yeah, postal code is it's kind of a bit like a zip code. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Now, after the shoot was over, like it seems like okay. First of all, the Clash were off to go to the US Festival in California, but. Did people ask about the film? Because, I mean, when is it coming out? Uh, you know, Gabby, Mark, and Joe were editing. Did, were people, or, or was there just too much craziness in the band and people kind of forgot about it? I hate to use the word dysfunctional, but... Um, yeah. 
you know, like, you know, like, again, you know, I was a 20-year-old kid, like, asked to, you know, and initially, you know, I played, like I say, I played with Joe for, you know, three years in a, in a, in a, you know, we do these gigs, we do this gig at, you know, New Year's Eve. So Joe, you know, Joe had an idea, you know, like, but it was kind of, for me, it was kind of weird because it's like, you know, it was like hip hop was, was really kind of, um, was like on the scene and it was kind of a bit like, it was a bit like, you know, do you go left or do you go right or do you continue down the road? Do you know what I mean? Right. And, I, mm -hmm. and and you see, it was like Mick, Mick was really, you know, falling in love with hip hop, you know, and yeah. you could see that with that, you know, like the way bad, I knew that, you know, and so, but, but Joe was kind of a bit like, you know, I want to go back to the roots of, of it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I want to go back to the how we started. You know what I mean? In a, yes. in a way. And I think, I think to me, it was just like, you know, they reached a point where, you know, they were, to be honest, I think they should have all just had a break, a holiday. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That would have I been the best move. Instead of some, I mean, I think I blame Bernie for a lot of that. But I mean, instead of... Uh, no, totally let's make a move instead let's yeah. take a break let's take six months let's take eight months right, dust right. Will regroup dust will have cleared uh, right. tempers will have been you know you'll you'll be remembering good times rather than uh w you know what he just said to you last night you know yeah i'm with you yeah here. it's like everything you know you need perspective you know what i mean mm -hmm. you need you need to sit back and look at yourself you can't just keep riding that horse riding that horse because especially you think about the clash when they were on stage i mean they were really famous for just like their energy yeah you know what i'm saying yes i in, and you just keep you like year in year out expanding that sort of and joe you know that's the thing you know he always gave it everything everything he, he got thrash you know himself I mean? into a frenzy yeah you know what i'm saying and yeah. then you know it's it's okay, but you know, as the years tick by, you know what I mean. You just got to sort of, you know, take a, you know, take a, you know, go and sit on an island for, you know what I mean. Absolutely. And after the clash right. broke up, that's where they ended up. After the clash broke up, uh, Joe and uh, I think Don Letts. I'm not sure. I don't think I'm not sure. About yeah, that. but they went. Yeah, down funny the enough, they did. They was in the Bahamas, like ah. working on Big Audio Dynamite. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. Joe went out to to try and get Mick back. He did. He did. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that would have been great. Probably uh, Mick was resentful and hurt uh, and sent him packing, you know, and he was having some success. Uh, yeah. I think I think he just, you know, you know what? The, the thing is, you know, Mick was really the music guy. You know, Joe was the lyricist. He was more... You know, Joe for me is like a poet. You know, yeah. Um, and and you know, his character was you know, you know, no one could have you know changed. Like his vocals was very special. You know, but but Mick was the music guy. You know, ultimately, and um, I think you know Mick knew what course he was heading for. You know what I mean? Well, he absolutely and, was and, the and, musical one. Sorry. He absolutely was the musical one. You could yeah. even hear it on the first album, the harmonies he did in the background, the guitar licks he did that weren't 
jamming, but like aiding the song. Uh, he was uh, the music side of the house, and right. uh, Joe was the lyric. Uh, he was the poet. He was uh, yeah, singing about meaningful stuff, not love and girls and new cars. Yeah. Singing about politics and conditions. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think, I'm asking your personal opinion here, do you feel that Joe was trying to keep the band together, keep them engaged and working on a project? Or no, it was just situation normal and let's make a film. Uh, okay, I'll try and answer that as simply as I know. Mm -hmm. A little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. I just, it just seems like there's all this speculation that he was trying to, to uh, keep the band together. But the thing is, did he know it was falling apart? I, I, or it was just tension. There's always tension uh, in relationships and bands, etc. Well, again, you know, it's like there's a point where I think in a band, you know, this sort of the egos begin to knock up against each other. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's it's kind of no one's fault, but sometimes it's a bit like a marriage, you know, and 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 you're with someone for so many years, and you're kind of, you know, just, you know, at some point you're like, you know, do we do we do we have a separation or do we, you know, or take a break? You know, we take a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but you know, ultimately, it's kind of like you know, Joe Joe's like you know, was kind of in love with film, you know, mm -hmm. at that point, you know, and it, I think that's his brain saying, I need a break, you know what I'm saying? I need a yeah. holiday. But instead well, of like actually having a holiday, I'll get interested in film, you know what I'm saying? For yeah. a while. And instead of actually just actually just kind of taking a proper break and then and coming back, as they say, and dreaming it up again, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it just wasn't yeah. his personality. He always wanted to be engaged, and uh, I think he would probably have been bored uh, just taking time off. I mean, can't you see him, like, moving towards film? Um, and I wanted to ask you about this ego thing. I, I think that, like, Mick more had the ego than Joe. Mick would always make you De wait. He'd be late. He'd have veto power over things. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, um, you know, it's funny because when when Joe passed away, we did, um, um, we did some tribute concerts for him, um, one in London and one in Granada, and Mick came along and played in both of those. Great. And I tell you, Mick was so, you know, when I when I was working with the Clash. Yeah, I thought I wasn't I wasn't impressed with Mick, but uh -huh. it was he was he was an ego, you know. But I mean, he kind of apologized, you know, like you know, and he was he's like just like couldn't have been a sweeter guy after. And the things he said about Joe were just you know when Joe passed away, he was I remember saying to him something about oh you know one half was going. He turned around. And he said, "Yeah, the better half." You know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I guess he must, you know, as we get older, right? Yeah. And just, he must have eventually arrived at a place in which he had to see that. Uh, and that says something very good about him. So Yeah, you know, I mean, 
we're we're only human, you know. You don't know what's what's hitting you one way or another, which way you yeah. cope with it. You know what I mean? Especially uh, so young, and now there's money involved, and and right. coming up to you, right. strangers complimenting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're oh. just human. Yeah, I remember Paul telling me like when they first started out, they was like, there was one point when they were like li literally like living off of you know dough. Yeah. In, <laughs> I remember him telling me like, oh, they was cooking this like this thing with just flour and water. And, well, it was the paste from the they would hang up the flyers with with yeah. flour. Right, and that's right. Yeah, that's what he was telling me, and they'd be eating the stuff that they were yeah. pasting up. Yeah, like, and he was like, it, someone offered him, went, no thanks, you know. It was like, but you know, that I'm saying it was, it, you know. Then you go from then buying your own house, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it's it's yeah. a lot to, you know, it's a lot to deal with. But so my next question is just as uh, strong, you know. It's more again about your personal opinion. Do you think that Joe is trying to reflect real life in the film? I mean, Mick is with this guitar guy, Digby, and uh, Mick is with Cosmo, and uh, Joe is with Mole, and, and, and he's got Paul against Mick. So, like, was he trying to char character characterization of real life, or is that just the way things fell because it felt naturally right? Well, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, life... I mean, I wouldn't put it past Joe to have thought about that aspect of it. Because mm -hmm. it, it literally was life imitating art, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But on a quite a grand scale. I mean, I think, I think when it comes down to it, they, you know, they loved each other. You know, you know what I mean? They really yes. loved each other. But, you know, it's like, you know, there's a point where you kind of like lose track of, you know what's going what's going on you know so you, you know it's it, you know it's fair to say that you know you know this was going to be paul's camp and this is going to be mick's camp and this is going to be you know and and in a funny way joe quite cleverly sort of think about it because he played a copper in the film yeah, yeah. Right. so he kind of kept out of it do you know what i mean right like you know, he, he didn't have you know and he had his foot in both you know, he's working with the criminal, but yet he's defending the justice. I mean, he, right. And right. Also he's the arbitrator. He was in the middle. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I guess it has to be that he absolutely uh, was trying to uh, put everyone in their role and in their place in the um, in the relationship. I guess it right. has to be. Uh, we can't ask him, but I wish we could because. It's so clear. So, okay. So now Bernie Rhodes, he like rejected the film. He thought it was stupid. I mean, did you see him around at all during the filming? I saw him. I'll be honest, with you. I saw him once. Okay. Okay. I got to meet him once, and and um, it was because it's kind of weird, you know. We were. It was the very last day of filming. Oh. And, um, we were like in and we were in Camden and and he met and he was like he was asking me about like who my favorite drummers were and I was like you know I was like Elms you know all these jazz people and he was like oh and he <laughs> made a really funny um, comment he was like 
it was like, oh, Joe would have, just what Joe would have said. You know, he said something like that, mm. I can't remember. And Interesting. It was, it was really odd, you know, but, um, but um, yeah, that's all I, I don't really remember. I was, you know, I had a, I had a few that night, to be honest. Yeah, of every night, apparently, according to the internet. Uh, apparently, Joe was, uh, it wasn't props, they were real drinks. Uh, yeah. Where there's drinking, they're drinking. <laughs> well, that's, you know, my first scene in that film was as the barman, yeah. you know, and like, it was like, it was like, you know, I had no idea, this was the first time I'd been in any movie at all, but he stopped the bar with proper booze, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I, I was, a lot of it was just waiting around, you know, for them to get going. Yeah. So I'd just be opening up, you know, can after can after can. By the time it was ready to film, I mean, I was pretty, you know, I was like ready to, you know, act. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Well, <laughs> your inhibitions were down. Buster <laughs> Keaton with a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that well, scene... whatever you call it, I was ready for it. I mean, yeah. I completely. Thank God it was silent. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, um, Barry was there in that scene. The baker. Um, Baker was Baker was full on. Baker was around all the time. Well, he was bringing lights and working on special yeah, yeah. effects, and he was yeah. uh, driving uh, yeah. all the equipment. Um, but he was in that bar scene that you talk about um, at the at the um, Daniel yeah. even. Tell me, he made this eyeball right when the guy's eyeball comes out of his head. Onto the did you were you there for that scene? You're not. Really I wasn't. I wasn't there for that scene, but it's pretty, you know, gruesome. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Yeah. And yeah. I bet you that Barry was really quite proud of himself because. Yeah. It came off well, you know. It it, it was. Well, you know, I mean, Baker's like, you know, he's this. To me, it was like. A bit like the soul, you know, the soul of the, you know what I mean? Of, I don't know. He's just like a really dependable sort of person. He's always there and he's always, you know, willing to do, you know, enable, willing and able to do whatever everything. needs to be done. To be all, all things to all people, you know? Well, he was there for the whole thing. He was there from the beginning. He, I think he oh, was yeah. from Jack, but he, he was like Jack of all trades kind of roadie. Yeah. Um, just yeah. making it happen, like you said. Yeah. No, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because, I mean, just you know, to know I mean, you're one of my best mates um, for a while, and I actually did other things musically. It was Mickey Foot, uh -huh. who who produced the first Clash album. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, were I gotta ask you, Derek? Were these guns real? These guns really don't look like props. Uh, you know, that's really funny you should ask that, because I I assumed uh, they were, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember picking it up, and I was like, wow, because you really don't see guns in England much, you know what I mean? Yeah, not but, even uh, the police, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't fire it or anything, but... Well, but I mean, it was heavy enough. It looked it looked like the real deal, but um, you know, I I really couldn't say that much. You know, it's funny now you ask. I'm like, you know, it should have occurred to me like, 
Hey, where'd you get that gun from? You know what I mean? That looks right. looks a bit heavy, kind of thing. And yeah. it's kind of funny in the film because uh, your character wants to pick it up and touch it, and Paul uh, uh, Earl shoes you away. Yeah. Don't touch. Yeah, don't touch. It's mine. Right. Yeah. Now, um, there was a lot of okay in today's day and age, right? We're sitting here in 2021. These young kids today would call it racism, but in the film, there was a lot of, you know, are you auditioning for the Black Superman? Uh, Joe is calling him Jungle Bunny, and he's putting it on the title card, the interstitials. I mean, it yeah, seems like there was no qualm. Uh, about singling out a person because uh, of their race and talking down to them. You know, you know, in, in, it's weird because in a lot of ways, you know, you know, people might disagree with me, but in a lot of ways, you know, you know, this was before you know, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and. And um, there was a lot of there was a lot of reality kind of interjected into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There wasn't any kind of like, you know, sort of polite, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I think I I think that was personally I think that was quite well represented uh -huh. for its time. You know. So, Topper left after combat rock or he's asked to go and i think it was drugs i'm not sure um yeah. well yeah it was yeah. It, i think it was heroin he just couldn't function anymore i think if he I, i'll tell you drugs. i'll tell you a really weird story very quickly if i can mm -hmm. the very first day of shooting i was walking back up labrick grove you know and, um, you know, I went down and, and Joe introduced me to Paul and blah, blah. And we were shooting that, they were shooting that scene, I don't know, with the jag when I think it's like it hit, you know, Digby's on the head, you know, yeah. on the car. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was there watching that. I was like, geez, that must have hurt. Yeah. But anyway, but but I was walking up Labra Grove, like after all that, just decided to walk up, up walk kind of home. And I'm passing... I mean, I hope this is all right to say, actually. Um, I met, you know, I met Topper late. He's a really lovely guy. I love Topper. But anyway, I met I met Topper, and he was coming out of the, of the you know, the the police station, right? Mm. And, I mean, geez, it was scary. You know, he just looked, he looked so ill. Uh-huh. Almost okay. more dead than alive, you know? And, uh -huh. and, um... I couldn't believe it, you know, because I, I know I was involved in that thing with, uh, it was some problem with drugs and it sold. And I think he actually ended up doing a little bit of time. I, I'm not sure, but. Okay. Um, 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 but I went up to him and I was like, hey, Todd, I was like, Joe's asked me to do that. And he just kind of looked at me and went, well, good luck with that, mate. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it was, but it was just weird seeing him. Yeah, and and he and you know he was like a walking almost like a walking skeleton. You know, it was well, that's scary. the thing. I think it's just clear that he couldn't continue. It wasn't that they wanted him out at all. Uh, he just wasn't doing the job, and they've got shows to do, and they've got uh, places to be, and you just can't disappear. And uh, so, 
Yeah, but yeah, but you know, at the same t- again, you know, it's kind of weird that they like fired him because, you know, my my idea is I said and I said to Joe, you know, it's like DNA, you know, you can't you can't just replace somebody just you know people think drummers are just like you know people who make noise and no no you know (laughs) no sometimes you get the impression even as you know i'm a drummer (laughs) yes but but a sort of popular belief is that oh you just replace you know like that's why machines are now coming you know what i mean it's like drummers Mm -hmm. were replaced with machines and and it's a popular idea that you know you just but what they forget is that you know drummers have soul. You know what I mean? Yes. And and Topper, you know, Topper had soul. You know, he had he had all that kind of you know, and and you can't just you know just replace. Like I said, I remember saying to talking to Jones like DNA. You can't just and really what they should have done again. You know, if it my for my two cents, you know, just just take a break, everybody. You know, get right. Topper some the help he needed, you know, he needed right. to go to rehab properly. You know what I mean? And, 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 and then, you know, if it took a year, if it took two years, whatever, how long, however long it took, right? you know, but I guess the, 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 the wheels of rock and roll need to keep turning, you know, cause it's the record company needs to be paid, you know? Yeah. You know, these. you know, so you get caught up in it, no matter how idealistic you think, you are you know what i mean it's uh it's just how it goes you know but uh, but i'm just saying it was just a you know the coincidence and i'll be honest with you it freaked me out just Mm -hmm. visually just to see that because you know you know i was just like wow this could you know what i mean it's like could this be me in a few years if this actually works you know what i'm saying right it was like from day one so it was, you know, it was just a weird coincidence is what I'm trying to say. Now, I was listening to that Our Time Is Now podcast out of Ithaca uh, with a friend, a co-worker of yours. And, oh, yeah. Um, you had mentioned that Joe was kind of grooming you to be the drummer, and but, like, then recruited this Pete Howard. Don't you feel like there was an opportunity missed there? Um I know you were with the Raincoats, uh, but I think that you had returned from that and you were playing with Joe. Uh, do you- well, well, I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you honestly, right? I'll mm-hmm. tell you honestly. Um, Joe was recruiting me and he, and he kind of, you know, and, and I, and I recorded with, with Mick, you know, um, mm-hmm. for the backing track. I did some, um, I did some drums and some percussion and that, uh, and um, but you know, to be like I say, I, the, the more I, the more I kind of went into it, the the less I seemed to belong. Oh. I I started I started I started out feeling really wild up, like this is going to be fantastic, and I had that you know energy of a sort of twenty year old kid, but it, you know I kind of. You know, I began, I I had more and more problems saying, you know, how do I fit in? How do I okay. actually, you know, I mean, I, I guess I was caught up in, you know, with, I don't know, just like from where I come from, which is more of a kind of reggae, hip hop, like, you know, you know, I'm Jamaican background, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And 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 I, uh, well, you know, for for me, it was it was kind of like you know, because because it's it's not just like when you like around the clash, it's more sort of a, an idealistic thing as well. It's a mm -hmm. kind of you know what I mean. There's a there's a kind of you know, there's a kind of politics, and there's a lot of things to consider, you know. And I was always thinking like, how do I how do I fit? you know, in, do, you know, do I fit in, in right. what I'm saying? And again, you know, when I started off, I was like, I could see how this could work. Yeah. But the yeah. longer I was in it, my soul was kind of being depleted by, well, they can't even talk to each other. How, do, how am I going to, you know, <laughs> you know, going to kind of, you know, make sense fit of, in here. you know what I'm yeah. saying? And then when I found myself going to the studio, that was, you know, the, that it was there for me to learn all the stuff and make preparations. I was like, I'm sitting on, you know, listening to, you know, um, Cosmo gave me a tape and it was just like, oh, learn the clash. And I felt like I'd, I'd been playing with live band, you know, a live band. And I'm like, I'm now sitting in a studio I'm on my it. own playing to a tape. And I'm like, oh, just like taking the wind out of my sail. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I need people to feed off of. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, like, and, and having played with Joe, it was really weird to think that he couldn't even get his backside to the... Sorry, I don't want to sound disrespectful because I right. love Joe. But, you know, like, you know what I mean? Just well, that he let's couldn't come on him. down and let's make sure. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Yeah, That's so I was just feel like the longer I was in there and the more experiences like I I had like that, I was like, oh man, I'm you know, you know, it's kind of like, what am I here for? The beer, you know what I mean? Right. You know, but um, you know, but I was getting paid and stuff <laughs> like that. But it was like, you know, what what are we about anymore? What is this about? Right. Really, you know. Well, by 1984, you were already. Uh, back with the raincoats doing moving, uh, you know, drums, bongos, congos. Well, well, to be honest, to be honest, the raincoats was again was coming to an end. So you know, oh. part of me was like, you know, was was wasn't sure about which direction they were going. Okay, and I was pretty much just like a session, you know, person for the with the raincoats, you know, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, they were, they were, I think from listening to their stuff now, I think they were experimenting a lot with, you know, their sound, you know, and it was like Richard Dudansky and me were, we were just like, you know, really great friends. And, and it was just like, you know, we, you know, we're basically like have given a chance that we could just play together do you know what i mean and he yeah. and again richard was in the 101ers he was the original you know drummer for the 101ers you know and um you know public image and 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 stuff like you know but but we were just great mates and so you know that that was given the you know that was the chance to do that really but i went on i you know very soon i went after that i was i went on to play with with nena she was it she was in that band basically yeah yeah now when you were on our time is now podcast 
you relayed this great story about uh, Joe showing up with the boombox the first day you even ever saw him uh, playing disco out of it. Uh, yeah. But you went on to, I don't want to steal that guy's thunder and have you retell that story, but you went on to talk about how he was, he was not pretentious, but yet at the same time, he knew he was a star. Um, yeah. So there's that song, Cheapskates, and he talks about that in that song, you know, he, going out to hear a tune, and what are you doing here? You're supposed to be a star, you know. Uh, can you talk about his... It seems like he straddled a fence, right? He he knew he was a, a big deal, but he also knew that that was a conditional thing, that he had gotten some fame, that that he was just a mate. He was just, I'm using, I'm, I don't mean to use that, like I'm not English, but he was just a, a friend and just a, a person from, he well, was pretentious while at the same time he was aware of his fame. You know, I mean, I, I get the impression, you know, like, you know, certain people lap it up, you know, the fame thing, and, and they're all about that, you know. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then some people are just sort of like, don't sit with it as comfortably. Um, you know, like, you know, you mentioned Kurt Cobain, you know what I'm saying? You, met, you mentioned, you know, <clears throat> kind of people who are a bit more kind of idealistic about um you're not 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 wanting to get caught in that sort of you know pop star trap keeping your perspective you know? yeah, yeah yeah and i mean joe was just about like just trying to be as real as he could you know mm -hmm. but but you know it 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 can't be I don't know. It can't be easy because you know, in a way, you're you, you can I can see sort of almost slightly schizy, schizoid, you know, parallel to being wanting to live like this, and yet as soon as you step on the road, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, there's Joe." Blah, blah, blah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, is you know, is a star. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I want to thank you for being on. Um, yeah. And I really appreciate the insight that you've given us. So let's keep in touch, yeah? Yeah. We are going to be back next Sunday. And you can listen to us first on Mutiny Radio, 2 o'clock. You can get our podcast by subscribing to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T. Carl, the movie next week is an Australian film from 1972. It's called The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Okay, The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Yes, just type in The Adventures of Spud McKenzie and then change Spud to Barry. And what year again? I can't. 1972. Okay. Great. And I do see a trailer and I could blast that trailer for us. Okay, perfect. All right. You, uh, you want to play along or should I just go? Um, yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah, you tell us what is the channel. I don't even know. I just think it says very uh, the adventures of Barry McKenzie's 1972 trailer. Okay, okay. Count us off. Three, two, one, go. Listen, man, I need to uh, splash the boots. You know, straight in the potatoes. Great audio. I'm talking like that. Yeah. 
sounds great. Australian films ever. I'm really excited that there's a version on YouTube. We'll be watching it. So you'll take a listen, you know, spend the week uh, enjoying that great pea humor that starts right off. Our pea humor, it's two bits, you know, it's just two pea. Gotcha. But the pea humor, yeah. He, he aims high when he does his pea humor. Thank you. I've been the love guru, Mike Myers. Yay! Yeah, with 100 pea jokes. So uh, we would love for you to uh, subscribe and check out next week's episode or just tune into Meet Radio. There's some great programming for us and uh, great shows afterwards. So make it a Sunday afternoon. Uh, keep listening to Meet Radio. Keep listening to us. Uh, check us out on Facebook and our LWAFLMOIT YouTube channel. Carl, anything to promote? Any uh, what's ups? No, we'll just do carlsucks.com. So check it out and we'll see you next week. Now over at Mutiny Radio, they really pack them in with podcast live comedy. Pam Benjamin, every Sunday at 2 p.m., all of San Francisco starts to tune in in New Jersey at 5 p.m. Mike Spiegelman will. Watch a full-length movie!
Howdy folks, this is Finch bringing you another episode of Always Free Radio, a show all about rainbow gatherings and the people that participate in them. This show airs weekly on Tuesdays every week on Mutiny Radio, the pirate radio station coming at you from the Mission District in San Francisco, California. You can tune into this show by turning on mutinyradio.fm any Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, which is also the Pacific time zone. The next few weeks of this show will be pre-recorded before they air because your regular host, Roach, and your semi-regular co-host, myself, will be out in the world again, exploring that rainbow magic for ourselves. Hopefully, at some point, we will be able to air some Sounds from the Rainbow 2021 for you all. Until then... Enjoy this special pre-recorded podcast. During the first four weeks of June, we will also be airing a 21-year-old public radio segment in four parts from the Montana 2000 gathering. We will also, as always, be sharing rainbow music and stories and news as it becomes available. What is happening with the gathering this year? Good question. Here are a couple responses from Karen Zerk and Karen Shamalamamama, respectively. From Karen Zerk, May 23rd, 2021. This year is shaping up to be multiple smaller gatherings and or campouts over the July 4th Prayer for World Peace. Some of these gatherings will have an emphasis on COVID-19 safety protocols, others perhaps not so much. Many people may choose not to gather. The idea is not to have one large gathering, but to spread points of light around the land. The pandemic is still ongoing, and many of us take this very seriously. The idea is that of the prism, where the light comes in and refracts out to many points around the USA. A lot of this is off the radar and very confusing. There are frequent Zoom webinars slash conference calls where the plans are being discussed and people are being asked to plug in to different efforts. If you want the webinar slash call information, please reach out to me at kzirk at earthlink.net. That's K-Z-I-R-K at E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-K dot net. And I'll send you the information. The Zoom is open 24-7, but I know there are specific times when more people are dialed in. You can join from any old phone by calling the access numbers, but toll or long-distance charges apply if you do not have unlimited long-distance on your phone. I know of Prayers for Peace on July 4th, being focalized in the Northeast, Northwest, and Southwest. There may be more. From Karen Shamalama Mama. So last year, a pandemic swept the planet. A bunch of folks from Rainbow started talking online and started having conference calls by telephone every other evening for weeks, listening to each other's concerns and feelings, and it seemed like the general sense of most of the people on those calls was that it was inappropriate to travel across country and gather thousands of people into one place. These people were on board with an idea they dubbed Home from Home, and many of them felt that the Idaho gathering should be postponed until it was safer for the public health to gather together. There were, of course, other people who felt that people were overreacting, that not gathering was a submission to government authorities, and that really the threat was not as bad as many were making it out to be. Many individuals and kitchen crews and and camps chose to home from home July 2020, and about 400 to 600 people came to Idaho and went through the usual process of having a gathering, including Spring Council, Gathering, and Vision Council, the choosing of the next year's region. They chose New Mexico or Arizona as the region they wanted to gather in July 2021. 
Meanwhile, many who owned from home felt that those who went to gather in Idaho were being irresponsible, and many of those who went to Idaho felt that those at home had no right to persuade others to do the same. There was a lot of contention and animosity between folks. It was a very challenging time for family. This summer, folks started talking together again about what they wanted to do in July 2021. Many of those who owned from home were ready to gather again, but some wanted to be in smaller groups closer to home and chose to create smaller, health-conscious gatherings over the 4th in their own bioregions. These were dubbed prism gatherings, the metaphor being that when light shines through a prism, it creates many colors of the rainbow, a refraction of our light, not a division. Some rainbow family really dislike this idea of prism gatherings. Many of those people who gathered in Idaho in 2020 are the ones focalizing the Southwestern gathering in Arizona or New Mexico. Some folks going to the New Mexico, Arizona are saying that their gathering is the official annual gathering, the real gathering. Others going to New Mexico slash Arizona are in full support of there being multiple small gatherings around America. It seems to me that most folks in general have grown tired of being at odds with each other and feel that prism gatherings are a great compromise, a way forward, allowing everyone to follow their heart this summer. It looks like there will be three rainbow gatherings over the 4th of July this summer and multiple rainbow family campouts, potlucks, and picnics all across the country. New Mexico or Arizona Rainbow Gathering, July 1st through 7th, 2021. Idaho Rainbow Gathering, July 1st through 7th, 2021. Pennsylvania Prism Rainbow Gathering, June 20th to July 4th, 2021. Please note that Pennsylvania's dates are a little different from the usual July gathering dates. Thanks, Karens, for those updates. Upcoming on this podcast, a jaunt into Europe, where the Spanish Rainbow Gathering is in full swing. The Spanish media has just discovered the gathering, and so has the Civil Guard. I will be reading several of the news stories from the first four days of June with rainbow music to break up the monotony of my persistent Finch voice. Although I wish I could read all of the articles published about the Spanish Rainbow Gathering, I think I would lose all of you by the end. There were over 15 news articles published by the time I checked on June 4th, and most of them were a 